So uh, if you could bring up a picture of our family, because I'm not sure you ever saw my kids. Yeah, there they are. So Tisha, we're going from the top, Tisha, Archie, Sam, and, and the big man, Andre. So <laughs> my family is much older now than what you see. It's like five years ago or something. But the problem is, and parents would understand what I'm saying, the problem is to get nice picture out of three boys when they're smiling all together, okay, not fighting, not, you know. So this is the old picture, and since then I haven't got a new good one that they're all together and all smiling. So, but they're kind of still good-looking, you know, bunch of three boys. <laughs> so that's us. Um, we've been, uh, well, me and Andre, we grew up in Siberia. It's, it's not Serbia. Serbia is warm. Siberia is freaking cold. <laughs> so, um, to give you estimations, like uh, nine months of the year, that would be minus 40 degrees Celsius, Celsius, okay? So, um, you get used to it, you never stop your car, because if you stop it, it just freezes into the ground. So, it, it always runs, you can imagine, you know, ecosystem there, it's just, oh. So, nothing is growing there, it's snow, 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 couple of trees with no leaves, um, but there's oil. <laughs> and that's why people live there. So uh, our parents brought us there. None of us was born there, but our parents brought us there. Uh, and that's where I found Christ. That's where I came to faith. Uh, that's where we ministered for the first eight, nine years. Then we moved to Moscow, and I'll talk a bit about it today. We ministered in Moscow then uh, for eight, nine years. And then we, six and a half years ago, we came here. So uh, I do understand people usually, when, when we meet in Australia, all, all they know about you is what you are and what you do in Australia. So, but we did have life before. <laughs> Surprise. So uh, six and a half years ago, we moved here. But before that, we were ministering that church called Word of Life, which is the largest Pentecostal church. Uh, and one of the first ones, probably Pentecostal churches uh, in Russia, that came to existence after the communist wall fell down. And Swedish missionaries, they just flooded Russia with Bibles and Christian books. And that's maybe topic for another conversation. It, it was just mind-blowing what happened. Churches started to rise up everywhere, even up till now now, uh, you, will, you will be seeing in that Moscow church hundreds of, hundred, at least hundreds of people being baptized uh, once a month. So th that's, that's, that's a scope of what is going on there. People are hungry. Nobody's second, well, not nobody. By now, I can't say any longer like that because I've I grown up as well. But um, just a few years ago, there was no one who is second generation Christian. Very few of them. And everyone is a first generation. When you're first generation, you're so passionate. You love Jesus because your life is tremendously changed. You, you literally walked out of darkness and isolation into light and community and everything. So uh, it's been amazing. And a, a little part of my job there was um, when we had this annual pastoral conference when we would gather pastors from uh, post-Soviet Union churches, they would come to Moscow and we will have this annual conference, and people like Mark Connor that you would know, or, I don't know, uh, Phil Pringle, those names, they would come and teach our pastors how to lead churches, how to be a good leader, and so on. That's how we met Mark. All of them, they would come, and they would want to go for si sightseeing. I mean, it's not very often you're in Moscow. Who's been in Moscow before? Good on you. <laughs> Everyone else, get yourself there. It's not a good place to live, but it's a great place to visit. So, uh, they, would, they would all choose their first destination for sightseeing, Kremlin. 
So if you could show Kremlin, that would be nice. There are three pictures of Kremlin. You can just go through them as you show them. Um, and then don't show map just yet. So this is Kremlin. It's a beautiful place. So it's about, well, it's, first of all, it's oldest and largest fortress in Russia. It used to be city on its own, then Moscow overgrown to what it is today, 40 million of people. But it used to be just that. So now it's a huge museum on the open sky, and uh, it's 70 acres of land. If, if you want to imagine what 70 acres of land, because not many of us have farming land to understand how big it is. So 70 acres of land is like 10 federation squares with all its building on it, or two royal botanical gardens. So it's, it's pretty massive. And usually people come there for one day tour, not two days, like you go to Ballarat, you get one ticket for two days. No, you don't get anything like that in Russia. So <laughs> you come for one day and usually you don't come back. So you have to see everything, what's back there. And if, for you to understand what's in there, it's not just, you know, just the land. So it's uh, five cathedrals, four royal palaces, like authentic ones. Uh, it's five city squares and 20 towers. Lots of chambers packed up with genuine, or at least we're told they're genuine, genuine Tsar's treasures, like his crowns, spoons, and everything. All is made of gold, silver, diamonds, etc. So you would understand why it's a tourist destination. It's, it's fascinating. It's hundreds of years of history and so on. So you come there and you want to see it all, because usually if you're going from so far away as states or Australia, and you have only one day to see it all, you will usually Google and see. So I need to see Tsar Bell, you know, that made of gold and actually never rang. I want to see Tsar uh, Cannon, largest one in the world that never shoot. <laughs> so you want to see all these things, so you come prepared. The exit to the Kremlin and the, uh, the enter and the exit are the same for everyone. Either you come from overseas, doesn't matter what kind of tour you choose, you still enter through the same door as everyone else, and you exit through the same door as everyone else. Uh, so you come there anticipated, but what happens in between those two doors and those 70 acres of land will heavily depend on what way would you choose to go there. There are two ways only. One is self-touring, cheap and easy. You buy a ticket, you get a map for free, and here you are, you enter the doors of the, this museum. So this is not an Ikea. And saying that, I mean, in Ikea, it is huge, yet you have arrows to follow. It takes you somewhere, right? So they make sure, marketing people, they make sure you see everything they want to show you and you buy everything you didn't need when you came in there. So Kremlin is not Ikea, there are no arrows. So you do get a map, and can we show the map? So we do get the map, no arrows there. They don't suggest you anything, so you just, where do you go? So this is the entrance from the corner. Where do you go? Um, you, the normal reaction would be just follow the crowd, correct? Because people are very looking confident, looking good. So you think, they know what they're doing, I'll be following them. So you're following them. What you get yourself into is, Following the crowd, you will stay in all the queues to all the cathedrals, all the palaces and everything, because the capacity of cathedrals are very small, and sometimes you have to climb stairs. So it takes a while to get into everything, and you're standing through every queue. And queues are, just for you to imagine, imagine if someone would be giving out free tickets for AFL finals. 
people will be queuing up. That's the same kind of cues. People are just so excited and nobody knows what's inside. So you're standing there for one and a half hour waiting to get into the palace or cathedral to only find a little room and there is a priest, Orthodox priest sitting there with the icon and people just kissing icon and go. And you're like, one and a half hour of my time wasted just for that? Where are those pictures from Instagram and Facebook people took, you know, where are those beautiful things I need to see? So you queue after queue, queue after queue, you get tired, exhausted. Just um, to, uh, to understand that it's, it's actually a, a disaster to go there on your own, there's only one toilet for 70 acres of land and thousands of students. One toilet. But you don't know that. Even if you're a really well-prepared tourist, you don't Google how many toilets are there, correct? So you're not prepared for that disaster. <laughs> <laughs> and there are only two benches there. Two benches. I mean, they're very thoughtful of people, aren't they? So two benches for thousands of people. And you think, no, oh, what's the problem? I can lay down on the lawn. No, you can't because you'll be fine. You can't sit on the grass. You can't lie on the grass in Russia. You have to walk. So if you will just put yourself there because you're tired, police will come and find you. So you can't do that. So you are stuck with what you have, correct? Um, and even, even worse, there's no coffee or food inside. Even though it's open sky thing, I don't know why they don't make cafe, but again, Thoughtful, very thoughtful. So the only coffee is before, and you can't, you can't bring it in, too. So interesting. So what you find yourself, by the time the day ends, you're really exhausted. Your feet are hurting. You didn't get into places you wanted to because there are two of a big line. And you think, this is all overestimated. You know what? It's overpriced. It's bad. And I don't want to come back. And if friends ask you, if they're really close friends, you will tell them, it's a disastrous place, don't go there. If they're not good friends, you'll say, yeah, it was wonderful, look at my pictures on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> but the truth is, you will not be excited whatsoever. This is one way to go. Another way, another way is to go there with someone like me who knows place inside out, because as I said, that was part of my job to take our preachers there and show them. So I've been there a few times and I know the place. I know where to go, where not to go. So, while I'm not there, and if you're still wanting to go there, take a guide. The guide is a guy or a girl with heavy Russian accent. It's hard to trust them. You have to listen to them very carefully to understand what they want to say. And they will take you to the, to the ways or directions you will not want to go because everybody's going that way. Why should we go this way? But they will tell you, no, 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 listen to me. If you don't want to stand in all those queues going with the crowd, you have to go with me, okay? And they will take you through shortcuts, and they will tell you before you come in, take coffee because you're not going to get any more in the next few hours. And then in 30 minutes after that, they will be thoughtful, and they will say, now we are going to the bathroom. I know you don't want, you will have to because there will be no one, you know, no more in the next four hours. They will tell you after a couple, maybe one half, two hours, sit down on the bench and rest. And you'll be like, but we're running out of time. We need to see everything. No, you have to rest because this is your last point. <laughs> so they will make you do things you don't want. But after four hours, not whole day, just four hours, they will show you everything you wanted to see. They will make it enjoyable, not endurable. <laughs> so they will make it so good for you that you will be excited and you will tell all your friends, good and bad ones, this is an absolutely must-see place. 
The guide knows where to take you because you've been there hundreds of thousands of times. So that's why it's better to go with him. So the place is the same, entry point is the same, and exit point is the same. What happens in between depends on either you choose to go self-guided or guided. The same thing with life. We all come to Christian life the same way, at the foot of the cross. It happens differently for all of us. Uh, some experience radical, dramatic experience. Otherwise, other ones are just waking up, especially those who grew up in Christian families. But one, one way or another, you find yourself at the foot of the cross where you realize, I am a sinner. And there's nothing I can do about it unless God forgives me. He pours his love over me. His blood washes away my sins. And I'm going to live a life worthy of him. That's where you start. And we all exit the same way. We meet Jesus in heaven. But what happens in between in our Christian life heavily depends on do we want a self-tour or do we want to be guided? Let's pray. Jesus, we are gathered here today to worship you and to be transformed by the power of your word. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Speak to us. Stir us up. And teach us your ways. We want to be more like Jesus, whose word we love. And we want to live a supernatural life guided by you. We want to follow you. Guide us. The way you move, think, and feel, that's what we want. Speak to every part of our soul and spirit. Renew our mind and fill us up to overflowing. So we will not be only called Pentecostal church, but we will actually move in the power of the spirit. Live that supernatural life and express your power to the community around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So life is made of choices. We make choices. Choices make us. And we meet choices every day of our life. What land to buy, where to go to work, um, what school to choose for our kids, whom to marry, who to be friends with, uh, what to say, what not to say, and etc. And those choices, they craft the journey of our life. So that's why it's so important when we get on that uncharted, in that uncharted territory of life, Christian life, between enter and exit, it's very important the choices we make. And most people... Uh, at least before we come to Christ, and honestly, even I'm still now, same, I don't like to be told what to do. Do you? No, nobody likes to be told what to do. We like to tell what to do. I'm, I'm good at it. So, but it's, it's not our nature to, to like to be told. Yet the gospel is like upside down, upside down kingdom. Like we read in Acts 9, 5, 6, it's a moment of salvation or awakening for Saul. He meets with Jesus. He falls on the ground. He meets Jesus. He says, you're my Lord. And he says this thing. Jesus replies to him, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city. Like this is just the moment he just came to Christ. Now get up and go from, uh, into the city and you will be told what to do. Or you will be told what you must do. Very strong verse, isn't it? Do you, do you agree that Paul is an example of Christian? Should we be like Paul? Yeah, some way or another. So if he was told what he must do, I guess we will be told what we must do. 
It can come from different sources, different ways, how this must-do will come. But the truth is we were not created for self-touring. We were created to be guided through life because it, it's like, you know, if you're old enough, <laughs> like me, uh, so you remember those cars that you have to drive and you really, like, it's really heavy. You can't turn the steering wheel. And then now we just, we can do it with one finger. Yeah, and some do, I don't, but some do. So it's that power steering. Holy Spirit and his guidance is like power steering for our lives. We can do it like this, you know, through life. Or we can do it like this. I mean, no, I don't promise you it will be easy to be guided. There will be pain and there will be everything and there will be not many benches around. But he will make sure that those that are around, he will make you sit on it. And you will think, why did you abandon me? Everybody's doing this and this and I'm still sitting on that bench. This is the only bench you will sit on. So enjoy your rest. Enjoy your inner growth. He knows what to do. He is your guide. So from the very moment we, met, we meet Christ, he gives us guidance. And he wants us to fulfill our destiny. Because depending on what we choose, it will determine the fruit of life, the legacy. It will uh, determine the quality of life we live. It will determine the impact um, we have on people around us and so on. In John 16, 12, the Bible says that, I, well, actually, Jesus is saying, I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. Who wants to know what is yet to come? We all. We don't like uncertainty. We want to know what is yet to come. Another verse, Bible says that God doesn't hide anything from his servants. He doesn't do anything on earth without opening it first to those who minister to him, those who serve him wholeheartedly. The, words, the, the word here, guide, he will guide you into all the truth, sounds as hadegio in Greek and means a tour guide. And that's why we started with Kremlin. So he will guide you in all truth. He will tour guide you into the truth. What I love about this verse, well, he has been on this journey so many times with so many other people. He knows how to get you safe through it, yeah. right? He is not a signage. He's not an arrow on the floor in Ikea. He doesn't just point you where to go and shows how many kilometers to get there. He walks with you. Yeah. He literally walks with you all the way through. And sometimes, yes, he will make you to do things that makes no sense. And sometimes he will tell you what you must do and you don't want to do it. But that's why the sermon is called Dare to be Guided. Dare to give up. Oh, no, to give in. Dare to give in into his guidance. Because we were free, we were freed at the moment of salvation. We were delivered not to be free from God. We were freed to follow him. And to listen to his voice. And then if we obey his voice, he will lead us from confusion to clarity. He will lead, lead us from anxiety and depression to peace. He will eventually lead us from self-love to love others. Yeah. He will stop us from being all about ourselves, what, which we are good at. To be good about others and to be about others. So John says, Holy Spirit will guide us. It means he will not push us. He will not make us, he'll just welcome us. And then we decide if we go or not. And may I stop for a moment, very important, not to mix up the job that the Holy Spirit has to do 
and the job that we have to do as disciples. Yeah. It's when we mix it up, the problem starts. Like, for example, in the family, for many years, we are married for 19 years. For many years, I tried to change my husband. <laughs> it wasn't my job, I realized, so it didn't work. Okay? But Holy Spirit is working, right? But I do have my job and family to do to keep this marriage happy. Correct? So if I do my job well and trust Holy Spirit will do his job well, and Andre will do the same to me, he will trust that God will change me or keep me as I am. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> Never grow old. I don't know. <laughs> so if he will trust the Holy Spirit will do something to me, but he will be a good husband, good man in the house, then it will work, correct? So same with people. Sometimes we try to change people, push them, tell them, you know. But maybe it's job of the Holy Spirit sometimes. And we just need to be there praying for people, standing in the gap and just helping them and welcoming them, but not actually telling them, okay? And that's called trust because we want to, we're like, you know, we want to fix everything. We want to fix everything. We know the way, but that's self-touring. How about we give up our ways? And give it to the Lord. So, would you dare to be guided at your work, marriage, friendships, money issues? That's your choice. So, if you decide to embark on this quite exciting and quite unusual journey of naturally supernatural life guided by the Spirit of God, there are a few ways how he does it. And um, I'll mention it in the beginning, of, or even though it's at the end of the message, but in Joel... Um, there are, there's a list of things how God guides us. It's prophetic words and visions and dreams. And we will not go back much to it because the point of my sermon today is not those jewels that God gives us once in a while to encourage us and to affirm us and confirm something he already told us. So those are little gifts, but it's not our food. It's not what we can be sustained on through our Christian journey. Uh, they come once in a while, and they are good, and sometimes it takes years to get to the place that was prophesied over you. But on that way, you will have so many challenges and choices to make, so you can't rely just on those prophetic words. Uh, I will be talking about something that depends on us heavily, uh, if we want to be guided by God. So, first one will be inner witness. Inner witness, or in other words, a little voice inside of you, or impression you get, or affirmation of something you already knew. So, first, first of all, Holy Spirit leads us from the place he lives, from his residential address, from within us. He's already there, he talks to our spirit, and that's how he leads us. Romans 8.16 says, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. It's like that inner voice or inner witness that you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God. When I was um, saved at the age of 15, I remember that, that meeting, I didn't hear a word those missionaries were saying. I wasn't interested. I came there just to respect my mom. Um, and people were lifting hands and clapping. And you have to understand, like there was nothing like that in Russia. Even up till today, it's pretty much considered a cult. Like Baptists, Pentecostals, it's all like, Ugh. Orthodox is the only way to go. So for me coming after communism and not even seeing much of Orthodox Church into that Pentecost environment, I didn't hear anything. I was just like, get me out of here. Like, I came here to support my mom, that's it. But when the time of altar call came, something broke in my heart. I was running to the front on my knees, crying. Everybody left, I was still crying. I didn't know what happened. So I didn't hear a word. I didn't know God loves me or something, that I'm a child of God or anything. So nobody prophesied over me. I didn't read the Bible. I didn't know anything. I came out 
uh, of the building, everything was bright and wonderful. It's like rainbow colors. It was just like, whoa, new life. I was totally pumped up. And I knew I'm a child of God. Who told me that? Like I knew if something happens to me now, I'm straight into my father's arms. Like it was such an assurance. It's that witness, inner witness. It's a substance. You know that you know that you know. And sometimes when you seek guidance from God, you will get it. Boom. I know. I know that I know. So, for example, uh, in Acts 13, 1 and 2, it says, Now in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, called Niger, Lucius of, forgive me those names, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So, I wonder, how did it go? Five of them are fasting and praying, and Holy Spirit said to them. Was it audible? I guess if it would be audible, they would record it in Acts. They recorded pretty well all the miracles that happened, and that would be something outstanding. But they just say the Holy Spirit said to them. I guess that's how they presented it to the rest of the congregation. Holy Spirit told us. We were fasting and praying, five of us, and that's what we got. I guess that was in a witness. They all were affirmed or agreed on something. They knew that they knew that they knew that these two are to be sent. Correct? So it was kind of a witness. There are at least two competitors for that witness. When you're looking for guidance, when you're looking at what decision to make, there will be two competitors to the inner witness of God, and you pretty much know about it. Feelings. Oh, I feel this. I feel that. How many times you got yourself in trouble feeling something? <laughs> oh, I feel this is so good. Like, I stopped doing it pretty much by now, but... In the beginning, oh, I feel this. I feel God is leading me. There. I stopped even saying that. I can say I sense it, but I'm, I'm not sure. <laughs> but we feel. So the difference between feeling and inner witness is that feeling, they spike up yeah. and then they water down. You feel joy or excitement or something, and it stays there for a while, and then something opposite happens, or even just life goes on, and it's like, hmm. And there's no feeling. Inner witness is different. Yeah. Inner witness comes to stay because inner witness is a truth from the spirit for purpose and it doesn't water down because it's there to accomplish. You remember that verse in, uh, in the Old Testament that the word of God comes to us to accomplish what it was sent for. So until that inner witness accomplish, it won't leave you. It won't water down. You will know that you know that you know. There are some projects we were like, yeah, let's do it. And you do it, do it. And then one, you hit one wall and you're like, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and there are others you hit wall after wall, wall after wall, wall after wall. But you know, this is the right way to go because I do have that inner witness. So this is that substance. Uh, very easy to dis di di distinguish from feelings if you just know this trick, <laughs> so to say. Another competitor, well, you, you can read more in Proverbs 14, verses 12 to 13. Proverbs 14, 12 to 13. Mind and experience is another competitor. God gave us brain and he gave us common sense and he gave us experience in life and it's all good to use. Okay? However, just like in Kremlin, you come in and you think common sense is to follow those very um, faces, confident faces <laughs> and bodies that walk together in one direction because they think so. And you follow them. This is common sense, but yet the tour guide will take you other way around. He'll say, yes, it makes sense. This is, makes no sense, but just trust me. They'll be stuck there for eight hours. I'll get you out in four hours happy and sound. You have to trust. So there will be situations in life when um, 
your brain, your experience, your wisdom yeah. tells you one thing, and yet that inner witness tells you, mm-mm, mm-mm. That's, that's the wrong way to go. You have to go other way. Just to give you an example, I'm sure you can all share yours, uh, but I'm speaking today, so. <laughs> so. About 16 years ago, we moved from Siberia, as I said, to Moscow. Uh, it was a sudden move. So when we came to Moscow, we had no money. We had two-year-old son and no relatives, no friends, and Moscow is like, 20, 20 millions of registered people and 40 with tourists and everything. So it's huge. It's really big. So you kind of you immigrate. <laughs> it's immigration process. So you come there, you have nothing. Um, and then immediately, same day, we get invitations from two biggest Pentecostal ministers in Russia saying, can you come and talk to us? We're like, yeah, something can come out of it. Both ministers, just to give you foundation for the story, they're great. They're still great, both of them. So nothing is wrong with them. One church is 6,000 with 360 churches around, Australia, uh, around Russia. Another church is about 4,000 people with maybe 150 churches around Russia. So both ministries are great. So we come to one and they say, we have roles for both of you. This will be your salary. Please join us. We're like, whoa. So you can actually be minister of God and not be broke. That's exciting. <laughs> so we were really good, you know. So they gave us uh, one week to think about it. And then we go to another ministry and they tell us pretty much the same thing. We love you. There's so much you can do here. Please join us. The only problem, we have no money for you. The budget is gone. And next budget comes in, in another year. I'm like, no. <laughs> you think no. You don't say, you, you're afraid to say that, you know. So you say, can we think about it for a week? <laughs> so we decided to meet with both of those ministers, pretty much knowing that we'll take the first one, because we need to survive somehow. So we'll take the first one, but we can't say no straight away, so we took a week. We go home, and there's this uneasy feeling. You can't say yes to it. Like, you don't know why, you just can't say yes. <laughs> and you can't say yes to that one, because your brain goes, ah, you know. So we call, we call friends, we call, you know, family, we call my mom, my mom, she will never hear it, because she doesn't speak English, so I can say it, she's a little dictator, <laughs> <laughs> and she could run a little country, she used to be judge, and I think she still thinks she is, so when you call her, you get straight answers, like, no nonsense, so she says, second one is stupid, first one is good, take it, like, otherwise I'm not going to support you, like, are you thinking I'm going to pay for your bills or what? Well, like, okay, thanks for the advice. So we go into fasting and prayer. Because inner witness comes from your close relationship with God, from the place where you spend time with Him. So we go into fasting and prayer. Three days, we are fasting, not eating any food, just water. We are praying and we are fighting, fighting with each other. Because we think differently. One day I think one thing, another day I think another thing, you know. And the same with Andre, so we pray fast and fight. <laughs> so, and we, we don't have any decision. We don't know what choice to make. It's like, oh, what's going on? So we go to meet those people and we just trust God will speak to us. And as we come to the second place to meet with them, that inner witness comes to both of us. We looked at each other and we're like, oh. <laughs> painful but this is our place 
And before they start to explain us that we understand it's have, like hard decision to make and so sorry we don't have money, we say, don't say anything, we say yes. And it was, it was stupid. But we wouldn't be today where we are today without that journey. That made no sense, but that inner witness helped us to make right decision. And I'm sure you experienced something like that. Taking jobs that are less paid, maybe, or I don't know, um, going to someone's house and doing something that you wouldn't be expecting yourself doing, you know, like helping someone or giving gifts to your enemies or something. I don't know. Like just doing something that makes no sense, but brings fruit in your life and requires usually a leap of faith. Because what the Holy Spirit does through this guidance, he makes us trust him. He makes us draw close to him. If he, if he would always give us prophetic words, we wouldn't even go near him. Our flesh will draw us so far away that we'll be just hoping for those jewels to fall from heaven. But he wants us close by, so, and it comes only from time with him. Another way to lead us is the word of God. Psalm 119, says, your word is the lamp for my feet and the light on my path. So the word of God is the light when it, there is darkness. When there is choice to make and you don't know what to do, you go into the word of God. Well, actually, sometimes it's a bit too late to go into the word of God. I would suggest we put seeds of God's word long before so that it happens like in John 14, 26. It says that Holy Spirit will come and remind you of everything I have said to you. Holy Spirit cannot remind us anything we haven't learned before. So if we don't read the word of God... There will be nothing at the time of crisis to come up from within us. So we put seed after seed. And sometimes I read the Bible and I think, there was nothing today for me. One week later, something hits me. I'm like, oh, that's where I read it. And that's where you go to. The word of God is very important to read also when the inner witness comes. Or prompting that we'll talk later. You can compare. Because prompting, inner witness... Prophetic word will never go into contradiction with God's word. This is our document we based our life on. But also to change and maybe to be inspired to read more of the word of God. Please don't look at it as the instruction manual. Some preachers say it's instruction manual for life. We were created by our creator and he gave instruction how to use life. Yes and no. Because if you're like, like us, we buy microwave, for example. We put it on the bench plug it in, click, 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 doesn't work, kick, click, click, oh, it works. So, and if it doesn't, then we go to instruction manual, right? Some people are really good and very interesting, creatively, created, they read manual before they use something. <laughs> but I don't understand them, okay? So we click, 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 if it doesn't work, then we go to instruction manual. So, but the word of God is not instruction manual, it's a love letter from our father. So when, when I was studying back in Europe for my theology degree, Andrea would send me faxes, and that's where I show my age. There was no internet, so he had to send faxes. So he would send faxes, and I would read it again and again and again and again and again and again, because I was one year away from my studies. It, it didn't work this way, that he sends faxes, I put it on the shelf and think, you know what, if something doesn't work in our relationship, I'll read how to fix it. That's not the way to go. You read it because you love so the word of God is that love letter to us. Read it again and again. So you have to put it in there for the Holy Spirit to be able to remind you. And the last one that I want to talk to you about is leading through the prompting. Prompting is a very interesting way God uses to lead us. I can compare it with when you go on a highway or just, you know, on the road. And you probably go like 60 or something. And then suddenly you see red light. And you have to brake. Even if you think that you can make it, 
you have to break. It's a red light. Or other, other times, you're just standing there dreaming about, I don't know, whatever, on the red light. And then suddenly, it's green light. And people, impatient people from behind, they start beeping at you. Like, go, go, it's green, right? So prompting of the Holy Spirit is a bit like that. You can be doing something, and then suddenly, it's like red light. Stop. Don't. Don't go where you plan. Don't do what you wanted to do. Or otherwise, you, you are not doing anything. You're like, life is good, so good. You know what? I mean, I have plenty of things to do. I'm just doing what I'm doing. But there's green light, and you understand, oh, this is what I need to do now. And you're like, okay. And you led towards something you didn't plan to do. The, the examples of it are in Matthew 4, when Jesus was led into the wilderness, like how he was led. He was just prompted to go and fast and pray. In Acts 16, we read about Paul when he tried to preach in Asia, but he was prevented from speaking the word, Bible says. I mean, what a good course to speak the word, and yet he was prevented. Even worse, he goes to another place, and he was stopped again. I mean, even Paul made mistakes. That's fine. That's relationship with God when we natural people trying to hear supernatural. That's fine. But he was prevented in, uh, in, in Galatia. So in Acts 829 we read about Philip it says that the spirit told Philip go to the chariot and stay near it and we know the rest of the stories so the person who was in chariot was a eunuch it's an official from the government at that time and government didn't like church whatsoever church was under persecution yet Philip has this prompting go and speak to them and the rest of the story we know eunuch came to Christ correct so see Philip's obedience to that prompting, in spite natural circumstances, led to an amazing result. And I'll give you last story for today. So uh, many, many years ago, ago, I don't even remember when. <laughs> so we were, we were, we was like associate pastors, and then our pastor left for quite a long time, and he left us uh, like an acting senior ministers. He leaves, and next three or five days, we get a call in the middle of the night, 2 a.m., and people are screaming, pastors, pastors, our church is on fire. And yeah, we have Pentecostal church, we, are, we should be on fire, just not at 2 a.m. <laughs> just not at 2 a.m. <laughs> they're like, no, it's literally on fire. So locals, because they hated churches, because they're strange, they're new, you know. So they set it on fire. And it was our first and the only one building in Siberia for Pentecostal churches. So. It was quite, quite precious. Within two hours, it was all ashes. There was nothing to save. In Russian law, in those, in those times, if you lose your building, your place of gathering, then you lose your registration. If you lose your registration with something like ACNC, you're gone. You can't, you're outlaw. You can't gather. You can't do anything. So people of the church, they united so strongly. They started to sell their apartments, cars. They got another jobs. They were doing just so much to buy another building or to restore this one, whatever comes first, because you have six months, I think, time frame to do it. So it was hard work. And Andre, feeling responsibility that on his watch, church has burned to ashes. <laughs> that's, that's a very encouraging start of ministry. So he's praying, God, give us money, give us something. And he has this prompting to go and to talk to a guy that we just um, rented out our apartment. So all we knew about him, that he's just out of prison. Uh, he was in prison for some kind of financial things. So, and now he's second in charge in oil company. That's Russia. Out of prison into second in charge. So that's all we knew. So he's pretty much bandit in, in a role. Okay? 
So, and he's our tenant. Landlords don't go to tenants, knock on the door and say, hi, I want your money <laughs> because we need to build a church. So it was when he said to us, I will go, we we're like, oh, you know, just like, just, you know, <laughs> go. <laughs> so he went, he knocked on the door of his apartment. The guy came and Andre said, I'm a pastor of the church and I'm also the owner of this apartment. Can I talk to you? And he said, yeah, come in. You know what, actually, before we moved to your city, there was a guy from Jehovah's Witness who would come to us every Wednesday and teach our family from the Bible. And we were missing this time because we moved here, we don't know anyone. Would you mind to come and teach us? And you're like, what? The guy didn't give us a cent. But he came to Christ. He brought his family to Christ. He brought his CEO to Christ. The whole board of directors in the next year or two came to Christ. To make it even more amazing, that little prompting that pushes you against circumstances. Eventually, he became an elder in the church, in different church. He planted the church as well. He built that church. He gave money to that church. <laughs> His CEO eventually sold everything he had, moved to another city and opened Christian school. That little prompting when you're not afraid, that's what I call naturally supernatural. You do natural things. And you don't know where it will lead you eventually. That's why life with Holy Spirit, life guided by God, you need to dare to live it because it's scary sometimes, but it, it is amazing. So I want to challenge you to decide to choose to be guided on a daily basis. And those choices you make, you never know where you will end up with them. But if they're guided by God, even if you make mistake, you know what? Even if you make mistake, you think it's God, but it's not God. But if you have pure heart desiring Him, He will cover your mistakes just as well. Because He is Father. He's not looking to spank you around the corner. He's looking to lead you and guide you. Let's pray.